sad times, everybody. Sad, bloody times. Because this is the last out of your league of the season, John. The last out of your league of the oh, season. Oh, no. And there were, well, that's, not, that's a bit sarcastic. <laughs> no, it? it was a little bit, yeah. No, I'm damn, I'm upset. Have you enjoyed it, John? <laughs> I'm upset. I'm really, He's enjoyed it. He's done about three I'm this genuinely season. genuinely upset. Are you? <laughs> not really upset, honestly. Well, it might be the only work you've got next season, so just be careful. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Can you guarantee you'll do the podcast next year? Um, I just think we've all just got to just take a nice off-season. We'll have a good, <laughs> let's have a good think. We've all you know, moved start, in different directions. Let's not, let's not rush into things. How are you, by the way? How, how Great, yeah. Genuinely, how are you? Very good, yeah. yeah. Very good, yeah. It's been a long time, no see. Not really that long, has it? No, I've seen you on the telly. It's not been that long, Will. Seen you on the telly. You did one podcast in between. I've seen you on the telly. In betwixt <laughs> last seeing me. Have you one. seen John on the telly, Mark? Yeah, I've seen him all the time. Yeah. yeah. Seen him on telly in person. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. It's good, yeah. isn't it? It's good. It's good. Yeah. Any, anything else, Will? No, no, no. That's it. That's, that's, yeah, that's I, it. I that's rarely it. feel like it finishes <laughs> there, but we'll. Uh, no, actually, I'm not going to. I'm not going to put you through that. But mainly because yeah. I've been warned by your legal team that we can't do that anymore. <laughs> My legal team. <laughs> so um, let's just crack on. Let's crack on with the show. Uh, we are. Where, where? How would you describe where we are? We are in the. Uh, you're actually looking down at my iPad to see if there's any nasty comments about you, but there's not. No, not no, I wasn't. Week. I was. I was more we, looking we, to get a gauge of what what the what we're talking about, and who the guest is, yeah. <laughs> what we're going to be talking <laughs> about, and how yeah. can I contribute? Well, where, where are we? We're, we're in the the bowels of Media City. We're in a multi-story car park. We, we are in a we are in a multi-story car park. We're next door to a cosmetic dentistry place in a multi-story <laughs> car park in Salford. <laughs> Things that you think you would never say. This this the this here office used to be the uh, the dentist. Oh, is the, is the dentist. The dentist yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's now a it's now a makeshift podcast studio. Do you have do you have dental work done? Uh, what are you implying? Yeah. No, yeah. have you had dental work? Yeah. Done? Yeah, yeah. What sort of stuff? Just standard kind of every fill six months. Yeah. Mark. Yeah. Mark. They just fill ins and that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, cool. <laughs> cool. No, um, no let's, veneers. Let's, <laughs> no veneers. No, no. No veneers. No veneers. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from all of my front teeth. Apart from that one when I, I snapped my tooth playing rugby. Right, this is nonsense. We're not making it about yeah. me and my teeth. Yeah, no. No, nothing's about you on this podcast. Um, we should explain for those watching why we have the trophy next to us. Mm. Um, and we've been allowed to, to keep hold of the trophy for, for an hour. And for those watching... We're joined by the the one and only Mr. Danny Maguire. Legend. Danny, I mean, this legend. Nonsense, just before we get to you there, but we can actually see Danny's fingerprints on it, going all the way back, Mark, to what was it, two thousand and four? Yeah. Up until twenty seventeen. There's, there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of Maguire prints on it. Eighty fingerprints on it. <laughs> assuming he just touched it once with both hands every occasion that he won it. Mm. <laughs> it's. I mean that unbelievable, Danny. Hello, by the way, and uh, thanks for coming down, mate. Eight times you won it in the nine times you played it the grand final incredible and obviously this is this is a good time to have you because we're building up to to Leeds against Saints and you're presenting the Harry Sunderland trophy as well yeah um I think it's the the ultimate occasion the grand final and I think it's you know when you when you play play any sport or you know rugby league you the goal is to be involved in the the big occasions on on the biggest stages and uh I was fortunate to play in a, a great team with, with some fantastic players and like I say, I were able to uh, put my hands on that uh, amazing trophy a few times and fantastic memories, uh, great times. And um, it should be another great game this weekend between between two good sides. And do you know what you don't realise? It's not just that Danny won it eight times. It's actually your contribution in the games that you played there. One thing, um, I was asked to look up some of the greatest moments from you know grand finals and, and have a bit of a comment on them. And... I didn't realise that you, you rarely watch games back, do you? I don't know if you're like me. I re you rarely watch grand finals back. Well, I watched some of the big grand finals that we played in. And Danny's contribution in those games was cruelly good at the right times. Came up with some amazing tries. I think 2008, 
picked up a drop ball, skipped back inside, score under the sticks. And the amount of times you were around all of the big moments, so it's not just you can win it eight times and there's players in Danny You can be Blade. a passenger like me yeah. once or you can be a big player. <laughs> on eight off back, Matt. <laughs> yeah, I don't talk about it. Yeah. But two Harry Sunderlands? Two Harry Sunderlands, yeah. How many yeah. tries? Um, I think I've either scored eight or not eight, I think. Yeah. I asked, I asked Jamie Peacock this when he came on, but have you ever stuck all the rings on at the same time? Yeah, I have done, yeah. Have you? Yeah. Just walking Picture around. Just, just, just a picture, these are pictures somewhere. Just naked well, somewhere, in, um, just in the woods. safe somewhere now, so... <laughs> What's the else. weirdest thing you did with the... Did you get to sleep with the trophy? Did you do anything weird um, with it? I did take it home one time. Did you? I, I, don't, I had no idea how it ended up back at my house, but it did. <laughs> That's the um, and, and the Challenge Cup uh, one time was it ended up in, uh, in my little lad's... In my little lad's bedroom, and he was on a picture taken with it. That's, so. that's so <laughs> I think good. I must have stole it. Just a knock on the door with that's the it. man with white gloves. Gary Etherington ringing me up, telling me to bring it back. <laughs> Has anybody seen the trophy? <laughs> Danny, Danny was seen staggering off it. Danny's fine. lad's got it. So look into your crystal ball. Who are you going to be giving that Harry Sunderland trophy to on the weekend? Oh, good question. Uh, I, I, there's some fantastic players on show, and I think I'll probably give you the boring answer here, but I, I think big games. I, you know, often won by you. You sort of pivotal players, your players that play in your your one, six, seven positions. Um, I love watching Wellsby play. Love watching Wellsby play. He's probably one of. I actually like. He's got a little bit of arrogance behind him as well. I, I really like. Not not in a bad way, but he, he carries himself really confidently and love watching him play. Obviously, Lomax um, is a quality player, and obviously we've got Robes still in there. That's still. Pulling the strings at 45 years old or whatever he is. I'm sure he's older than me. He looks at it. He looks <laughs> he at it anyway. He, he looks, looks so it. old. Um, <laughs> and then you look at you look at Leeds. Richie Myler's playing out of his skin this year. Um, obviously, it's disappointing that, that Caesar's not going to be able to play in the game. But, you know, you've got Austin, Leeman, Dwyer. You know, people in them crucial positions, you know, nine times out of ten probably come up with a... Not always the case, but come up with the, the big players at the big time. So, um, if I had to put my money on it, it would be probably one of them them that I mentioned just before. We'll do a little, little bit of build-up just to the grand final. Then obviously we want to get stuck into your story, Danny, uh, as well. And for those people who haven't kind of heard your early beginnings and growing up in Leeds and how you came into rugby league. Um, I mean, look, you've, you've played in a grand final. Um, you've played in a grand final. You've played in a grand final. I've, I've been to grand final. So, a few times. So that's good, isn't it? So we've all been yeah. to a grand final. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Mark, you've been to two grand finals, actually. Yeah, actually yeah, to two, yeah. Seven, you've been to two. One and a half, but yeah. yeah. Um, so when the fact that th this is kind of perfectly set up, really, isn't it, that you've got the 11th time Leeds go into a grand final, tied with Saints on eight wins each. So to go out in front and obviously then to end the kind of Saints dominance as as Leeds dominated back in the day when you played and all that. It's, it's, there's an amazing narrative, John, there isn't is, it? Yeah, yeah. So I think it's a fascinating story, not just out of the context of the season. Is St. Helens have been the best team, haven't they, for the last three or four years, without doubt. like They've been the best team. They've set the benchmark. Um, and, and Leeds, their story this year... I always felt like this is something that Leeds did really well when we used to play them in grand finals. They always had a story. They built to something. They, it was always an emotional drive towards the culmination, you know, the finish of the season. And I felt like they managed that a lot better than us, you know, looking back. And I just feel like the story behind Leeds this year is emotive, isn't it? It's it's one of absolute car crash to watch at the start of the year. It was It was a joke at times to watch. And you were like, my God, like to get to where they are now, from if you went back 16 weeks ago to where they are now is just unrecognisable. And, and that is the interesting part, isn't it? We've got Leeds who have just come from nowhere, Rowan Smith turning it around, all positive and moving in the right direction. And then we've got Saints who've just set a benchmark that's been so high for so long. 
So it, it, the history of it, how many times they've played against each other is, and all that's really fascinating. But for me, maybe one of the stories this year is Leeds and how that's, how it's turned around and the simplicity in which it's turned around. I don't think it's been a really complicated change. Uh, if anything, it's been a simplification of, of, of what they do. And uh, they seem to be enjoying themselves, but for, uh, it's amazingly set up, isn't it? Well, the fact that we've got a Saints side, a Saints legend and a Leeds legend and someone who played for Saints in, in there, <laughs> two, two people in the middle. Um, all right, I'll ask you this from a, Le from a Leeds side of things. Would this make Saints the greatest of all time, winning four on the trot? It'd be hard to argue against that, I think. The, the, I think what amazes me is obviously being part of a team that, that's been successful over a number of years is it's... It's actually really, really hard to keep um, keep turning up and keep turning up with the same attitude and drive every year. And and obviously, ourselves probably appreciate appreciate that a bit more. And and the Saint, the coaches that Saints have had and the players that they've had, and being able to keep the standards up there and um, and not drop away at any point. And obviously, we've we've seen the last three seasons they've been they've been pretty untouchable. Um, you know, I don't think they've been as good this year, if I'm honest, especially towards the back end of the season, but. Um, you know, they've got some experienced players and, and, and they've been there and, and, and sort of wore the T-shirt in these big games. So, you know, that, that probably makes them favourites for, for Saturday's game. But uh, like John touched on, you know, Leeds are, are riding the wave at the minute. And I think the biggest, again, you, you just touched on it and it, it got me thinking, I think you watch Leeds play now and you watch them work hard for each other. You know, they're just, they're just mass, massive on the effort areas. And I think he's really, um, you know, Ron Smith's really contributed hugely in that area and they seem to be playing for each other and, and enjoying what they're doing and sometimes we try and overcomplicate rugby league a little bit with structure and tactics and you know all sorts of other stuff but it's a simple game and it's just sometimes it's uh, the team that's prepared to work that little bit harder that normally gets the job done. I think Leeds will be confident because they, I don't think they'll ever get Saints at a better time in terms of the form's been a bit scratched these last couple of months, their injuries to key players, key personnel uh, they've probably not had many injuries in the last three or four years to the extent they've got now. So I think the way Leeds are playing, like you said, they were really good against Wigan in the, in the semi-final. Uh, and if they can just keep working for each other and they've got some big players in big positions. Oledsky's been great this year. Um, and I think it could be just that right moment where they just get in sense when they're not quite the best and then they're at a bit of a, an upward upward trajectory. Yeah, I think there's been a lot of reasons for Saints actually stalling a bit this year and I think, you know, a, a big one was was has been injuries. You know, they've they've lost their main half back young obviously young young half back, but they lost the main half back at the start of the year. So we build up to the game against Salford. We're talking about Brodie Croft being missing all the time Saints have got key personnel missing actually all all year. And and they've been adaptable and they finished top of the league, I think it's easy to go into this because when I've been having to think a lot about the game because of the media stuff, and I think it's easy to go into the game and 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 just talk about Leeds because of the, the things that I outlined before, but actually Saints have been on a bit of a journey this year and, and done it tough and still won the comp, you know, won the league. Um, so I think they need some credit for that because would there be the extra pressure then that they could be? Um, just imagine you in that sort of dressing room this week that you could be talked about as goats, you know, because it's not just winning yeah. another grand final, is it? I think if you entertain that as as the aim, I think it's dangerous. Mm. I, I, I don't think that should be the focus. Um, I think everybody wants a legacy in sport, so I think defining the legacy 
for somebody like James Roby, this is really important because it'll define a period of his career that he's yeah. going to be hugely successful. But how they actually play that emotional card this week, how they build up for this, how they paint the picture of why they need to be good um, at Old Trafford. So they will use that as part of the Yeah, but the I, I just, I, I'd, I'd be fascinated to be in that dressing room this week yeah. to hear the language that they use, how they're talking about preparing yeah. for well, the we, we had James on last week, Mark, and he mm. didn't really shy away from the legacy factor side of things, did he? No, he didn't. And it's, he can't really shy away from it because it's so obvious and it's so... They want to they do it for him. Yeah, they want to create history. And I said this last year, there's always a narrative in, in a grand final. They can make it about Christian Wolf being his last game's coach, James Roby one of the best players that the country's ever produced. But then on the other side, you've got Rowan Smith. What a, what a turnaround he's done as a, as a coach after a matter of months. So there's a narrative for, for both teams and both stories. Um, I think it's about um, containing that excitement from, from Saints and what they can achieve and just boiling it down to the process and just individual game plans and just keeping it so simple because if you kind of... Uh, if you make it bigger than the actual match, that's when you start falling down. I think. But in, in that, there's a trap for Saints, though, because I watched them play against Salford, and I felt like simple, simple is what they do really well. Like they just they will attack this game with like depth, strong carries under the rope. They'll, What's they'll, that muscle memory basically? Well, they're they're, they're, they're they're like a sledgehammer, right? So mm. they're just going to come out of a cannon at you repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. And they did that to Salford, and I thought, right, Salford have broken here. They've broken them. But still, Saints only managed to score 19 points. And if it wasn't Johnny Lomax who kicked the ball really well, actually, they didn't create an awful lot of opportunities. And on the flip to that, I watched Leeds defend against Wigan. If you want to watch maybe one of the most outstanding defensive performances I've seen from an individual and a team, watch Jack Hardacre's defensive performance against Wigan at, at, at centre. Like, those sorts of efforts will go a long way to nullifying Saints. And my fear for, my fear for Saints is... He had a bit of incentive, didn't he, Zach? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's another, it's another narrative, another story, isn't it? He wasn't wanted by Wigan. And then it was he's, he looked like his career was on a downward spiral again. And then he gets a chance at Leeds. And then the way he's playing in semi-finals, he's, he's right back in the mix yeah. for, to be in the start But I just show. think that could be the trap for Saints, is keeping it too simple and not playing and not scoring points. One thing I've worked out about the grand finals when you watch them back you need to translate pressure into points or you, you can't just endlessly build pressure without coming away with points and my worry for Saints is that they'll build a game build a game build a game and just get the pockets pinched by Leeds I think that there's loads of different subplots we can talk about all them but I, I always think ultimately you, you need to take your chances in grand finals you may get four or five opportunities that you need to take and you need to be clinical with them and, and defensively you need to be on top of your game you know I think you get four or five chances offensively, you need to nail it, but you need to have that attitude that we're going to work hard defensively. And I think that combined with a really good kicking game, we can talk about all different things of outside the game, but ultimately there's like four or five things that you need to be really good at to get to get the job done. Mm. Oh, look, you guys have built up to these games so much. I shouldn't even ask you this question. I'll ask you, John. The fact that d does psychology come into it? And I know you tried to keep all these external things at bay in the sort of weeks building up to the to the showpiece, as it were. But the fact that Saints have never beaten Leeds in a grand final in five appearances. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. Look, I don't it's know. four, isn't it? Four wins yeah, out of four. I, I think that would be in James Roby's mind, you know, somewhere, locked away. Mm. And I think, you, I think you're just lying if you say that's not there. It'll be there somewhere deeply. But will really, the youngsters care or know about that? I don't think they will. No. I don't think they will. And I, I think younger people now are... are you know, that, that era, that two, you're talking 2007, 8, 9, around that era is such a long time ago now. 
some of these guys would have been, you know, 10, 9, you know, you know, 8 years old. So if, if it was similar lineups, if it was the same team playing then, then there'd be something you mind, I think. But there's no Leeds players, I don't think, from from that that success. And there's probably a couple making St. Lomax wrote James from 2011. So it's a long time ago. But then there's the, there's the motivation for Christian, isn't it? Making history and putting an end to that kind of well, stuff. Well, I think one, the only way that you would experience that in the stadium is if Leeds start well, right? And it's going well for Leeds. And there's a lot of fans. A lot of the fans would have been through all of that for Saints. And atmospheres from fans are tangible. You know, in big games, you can sense frustration or you can sense, like, fear from fans when you're on the field. I know it's the weirdest thing is... You know, you see it with teams all the time. You know, you've seen it with Warrington this year. There's from Warrington fans, there's been frustration and anger and a bit of frust you know, it's just and you can sense it when you're there. And and you know, for Saints, if they were to start badly and Leeds start well, then for me it's more twenty five, thirty thousand Saints fans going, Oh shit, not again. Mm. <laughs> you know, and whether that translates into, you know, they can that can be sensed on the field or what, not. What's that moment, John, like when, you know, all those times that you just saw Danny with that trophy? just on the other half of the pitch and you guys have just got to... What do you do, straight down the tunnel? Do you, no, do you sit there and applaud no, them? Or? No, it, I, I, I have nothing but respect for... I think in life you've got to respect your adversaries. Like You've got to respect the people who, who, who compete with you and who, who beat you because there's learning to be done there. And I think, you know, I did, I, I did a lot of learning on those nights, you know, Old Trafford, cold night, looking across and seeing the, the stark contrast between winning and losing. And at those points, it's quite easy to sort of be disillusioned with sport. But actually, I think those nights taught me more about why I loved sport. You know, that moment right there where someone's winning and you've lost and actually handling that in the right way, I, I found really powerful for me as a person. Um, and and I think you have to respect your adversaries. You can't, you can't hold like bitterness and grudges about stuff like that. It's, I think it'd be crazy to do so, you know. But Danny, this is what it's all about, isn't it? So going going back to your story and sort of getting stuck into the life for a young Danny Maguire. What was that like in in Leeds? And was it always rugby for you? Was it you were just injected with rugby as yeah. soon as you were born? I was just sport mad. So like family was just sport. But basically football and cricket. I was the first one to sort of break the mould. Um, mm. So I still play a bit of cricket now. I've just started back up. So, oh, so it could have been Yorkshire. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't think I was good enough. <laughs> uh, I was all right with a bat in my hand, but um, but yeah, I was the first to sort of break the mould and and go play for East Leeds, my local club, um, and just yeah, just got hooked, and yeah, just had some friends that was playing down there, and uh, next 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 thing I knew, I think I was twelve, and I was signing a six-year contract for for Leeds, which six which is contract, which is crazy. Thinking back now, I think. You know they've got a better structure now with the scholarship and and everything else that they do. But yeah, it was um, I went up to Leeds v Castleford on Boxing Day, uh, and it was just at the time that um, Paul Caddick and Gary were trying to buy Leeds, so it was like Dean Bell. It was like the old regime. Um, I went up f just just thought we're like a sort of spectator and uh, went back on the Wednesday and there was a six year contract there and yeah, mum and dad were. What's going on here? So I just, just signed it, yeah. And, that, that, um, <laughs> is that normal, John? Six-year contract for 12 years? Yeah, it big deal. Wow. Leeds paved the way, really. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, what, they, they obviously saw something unbelievable in you at that age. Were you a boy wonder? Uh, you... Well, I always played for the year above. So I always played a, a year above. So I, although I was small and in stature, I think that always helped me because physically I was able to, you know, I didn't mind playing against older kids and, and getting stuck into it. So when I dropped back into my own age, as I got a little bit older... It was kind, of, yeah. It was kind of a, a little bit easier, and um, I always remember I was telling this story. I remember 
at school I used to go to the you know so you have your careers advise advisor and you go once every couple of weeks and they'd be like oh so you know what's your plans when you finish you're going to do your um you know going to do your a levels or do you want to do apprenticeship and I, i'm going to play rugby i'm going to play rugby league no you know really what you know if that don't come off what are you going to do now nah, I'm, I'm all right thanks i've i've signed this contract i'm i'm going to play professional rugby league and they were like i remember i can vividly vividly see the the guy's face looking at me shaking his head thinking this isn't going to work out but <laughs> touch wood it um it paid off and uh, yeah you know, joined joined the academy at, at sixteen, and yeah, just got stuck into it. And so you never had any doubts in that sense. You never had to think what you might do. Never, there's, ne there's never been a sort of Jesus, what am I going to do? Never if went off work. the path of I'm wow. going to play professional rugby. Never thought about anything else. And that probably probably not a good thing. I wouldn't advise that to to young kids <laughs> now. I'd um, I'd you know I'd get something behind you. And I did actually go and do my A levels um, alongside training. So I did actually do something constructive at the passed same them. time. Yeah, passed them. Yeah, passed them. Well done. Um, so I won't advise that to kids now. I'd, you know, I'd always <laughs> say, you know, try and study a bit more or get something behind you. But um, I was kind of tunnel visioned where I wanted to go. You, you know, it's interesting. You ask about Leeds, you know, signing players at such a young age on six-year contracts. But for every Danny, you know, you got to remember that there's there's other guys around, you know, who were on that similar process. Leeds recruited a lot of yeah, kids yeah. at that time, didn't they? Yeah. they? They they had a vast strategy of recruitment, and it, and it, I think almost. You know, obviously they knew and highlighted Danny and Rob and, and a few others as, as key to that. But there's a lot of players who were around and in that journey who didn't make it, yeah, you know, as well. I remember there's a guy from Hull called Ian Crooks who got paid a load of money, you know, maybe five years, years before you, Danny, or 10 years or whatever, paid a load of money to sign a six-year contract at Leeds and, and, you know, doesn't make it. So, although, we, you know, we use that as an example of vision from Leeds, I think it needs to be balanced with, actually, it was like a mass sort of recruitment drive, wasn't it? And Leeds Academy at that time was... was a different beast to everybody else's, wasn't it? Yeah, they just, like I say, I think, I always remember the the pressure of actually going into the academy. It was it was insane because they'd had so much success and, you know, Kevin Simfield and uh, Jamie Jones, Buchanan, they're like a couple of years older and they'd sort of won it. And Were they six-year contracts? And well? they'd all been on six-year <laughs> contracts as well. And and I think the, the pressure at a young age was, you know, I remember thinking back, well, you can't, you can't be the first team not to win this, so... You know, we had great players, don't get me wrong, you know, Chev Walker, Rob Burrow. Um, you know, we had a lot of players that, if they didn't make it at Leeds, then went and had good careers at other clubs. But so is Rob the same year as you? Yeah, Rob. Yeah, Rob yeah. And, and Chev Walker, we played together. And yeah, and, and there was sort of that pressure and expectation from, from a young age, which I think then, when we all graduated into the first team, we were kind of used to it. So anytime, you know, I think playing for Leeds and playing in the position that I played, you know the halfback position. You're under pressure every time you play. If, if your team don't perform, usually it's your halfback's fault, or you know you get you get the criticism. But I think. But that's mad feeling that pressure at 12 years old, isn't it? I, I, mean, I guess you have to be conditioned to that, don't you? If you're going to play halfback, kind of good a good way to do it, isn't it? I think sometimes we de-stress kids and you know, let's make it fun, and you're just here to learn and improve. And ultimately, the harsh realities of life are: is if you aren't winning and you aren't doing the best that you possibly can do, you don't last very long at anything, do you? So we sort of shy away from kids, you know, like creating this pressurised environment. What Danny's painting a picture of here is an environment where winning was expected. And if you play sport, winning is expected. Mm -hmm. It should be expected. I, it was so alien to me going into like a, a Toronto environment after being at Saints where, you know, when you're at Leeds or Saints, you, you go into every game expecting to win. Mm -hmm. Like you, you could think you're going to win every game. And that that's an, a really positive environment to be in. We sometimes shy away from... 
letting, I think, younger athletes understand the harsh realities of sport. If you don't yeah. win, you're gone. But particularly in that position, because obviously you're going to be accustomed to it, as, you know, five, six years down the line. I mean, look, recruitment, John's the word that John mentioned, because that's something you're passionate about and you, you've done at Hull KR as well. Uh, I know you're not sort of breaking hearts of 12, 13 year olds, but it's it, there's a sensitivity to it as well, isn't there? Yeah, no, it's good. And I think recruitment across the board is so important for, for, for clubs, I think. And, you know, we've got, We've got an ethos at Hull KR now where we want to promote players from within. We've got to recruit some local Hull players that when they put their shirt on and when they put their badge on, it means something. And you've got to, you've got to get that right and you've got to mix it with experience and, and the right overseas signings. And, it, and if you, we've seen some clubs not get it right over the last few years and, and really struggle. So recruitment from you know 13 or 14 up until you know your quota spots is, is so crucial for a for a club to be run well and, and to be successful. So, you know, I don't think we've got it right yet at Hulk Cow, but we, we're on the right tracks. Well, if you look at the, the, the probably the three most successful teams of the last 15 years, you've got Saints now, they're predominantly young lads who've come through the academy. You've got uh, Leeds, the great success these guys had with the academy. And then Wigan in the early 2010s, 12-11 with Sam Tompkins and Joel and Prescott and Daryl Golden and McLaurin. Matt Flanagan. Right, yeah, I left before then. Yeah. Before they got good, um, but that's how you create a, a strong, a strong team with longevity. I find because you sprinkle on a few overseas players that add value and they've got experience and they've been around and done lots. But I think that nucleus of your team's got to be homegrown players yeah. that you kind of can build something towards. Yeah, I think you're often the great teams are defined by how well the young players go. A group of young players who, on a salary cap in a salary cap sport, get paid relatively little to the, what they put out on the field. There was a period for me at St. Helens, I suppose for Danny at Leeds, where the younger guys start to drive things and, and, and start to lead in terms of performance. If you look at Saints now, well, Jack Wellsby is probably one of their leading performers, you know, it, and, and in a salary cap sport, to so have your younger players who are still on the journey of achieving their earning potential to be leading the way and producing world-class performances is like, is the goal. It's like an amazing place to be. I think um, all the teams that have won anything have had the group of young guys who've just started to drive things themselves with good other players around. I saw an interview with Alex Ferguson years and years ago and he said that um, he built his team around young British players, the best young British players, and he played, paid them well. He said because what they do is they'll stick around. They're not bothered about playing for Real Madrid or Barcelona. The, the, the best club for them to play for is Man United. So they can build something with a bit more... Um, umph than just rather than having a year or two from Spaniard who goes off to Inter Milan or whatever. They're actually there for the long run. I think that's the same in, in rugby league in this country. They're there for the long haul, aren't they? Did, did, did you have the, the, the sprinkle of confidence and arrogance as a, as a young kid then? I'm just thinking of Danny Maguire and he sort of walked into that academy and then started taking contact with some of the bigger boys and then, you know, uh, from when you've moved past 12, 13 to when you're actually looking at getting into that team. Yeah, I had a real uh, rude awakening. My first year academy, I was doing it alongside my A-levels and I probably wasn't uh, committing as much as I should. And we had a coach, um, he dropped from the first team to um, be like head of the academy, Dean Bell, legend, Wigan player, you know, really tough player. And um, I, pr I probably didn't invest uh, as much as I should have done. I probably wasn't professional enough, didn't invest enough physically. And I, I kind of were getting left behind in my first year of academy. And... Um, I got a, I kept it, I kept this letter, I got a letter anyway, end of season report from Dean Bell and it was, it went, and it nailed me to be honest, it nailed me and he was like, oh, um, you've got 
you know, your, your skill and your attributes don't only get you so far. If you're not prepared to work for it, you, you're going to come unstuck, basically. And it was pretty, pretty seething, this letter. And I, anyway, my granddad kept it for about, probably about 12, 13 years after. It was falling apart, literally. But he wouldn't, he wouldn't throw it away because every, every year he used to get it out and went, don't forget about this letter. And uh, I remember going back the next pre-season after, after I had this letter and I thought, right, I'm going to show you here. Um, and then from then on, you know, I just made sure that I tried my best. I tried to be first in the fitness, tried to be up the front in everything. And anytime we were competing, I were competing until I couldn't compete anymore. And um, my whole mindset and attitude from that one letter changed. I love that because it's, it's not, I'm going to show you. It's actually what he said completely resonated. Yeah. yeah. Did it, so that, as soon as you read that, you never looked back in terms of that mindset. And he, he absolutely nailed it. It was spot on. Um, but I'd just been doing enough because I had obviously either talent and, but it were never going to go any further if I didn't nail down and knuckle down. And that were the, that were the wake up call that I needed. And I got, I was lucky that I got that. Were you still thinking about that with the, with the eighth grand final? Yeah. yeah. The eighth oh, time you lifted my, it. My granddad, he passed away about six, six or seven years ago. Yeah. And he kept that letter literally till. You um, got to get that framed up. Yeah. Least, it fell apart. It literally was, fall, it, it was falling apart. Yeah. Just gone. So if I could have kept it, I probably should have, I probably should have kept it and, and framed it. But, um, does he know that the impact that he had on you to that day? Uh, I've, I think I've mentioned it to him. I've never seen him since he went back to New Zealand. Um, yeah. and I've, I've never seen him since, but I have said it before in a, in a couple of interviews. So I'm hoping he, uh, he has, he has picked up on but it. Those moments are massive in careers though, because that, you know, that moment there can go either way, can't it? You, what you did is, is you accepted a challenge. It's like a challenge to your young self-esteem, to your confidence. You either accept those challenges and, and, and go, you get the bit between your teeth and go, right, fuck this, I'm going to show you. Mm -hmm. Or you don't. Mm -hmm. And I've seen, you can see people, and, and not just young sports people, but people in life, when you first embrace that challenge that somebody gives you and says, are you quite doing enough? Are you doing this? That, you know, you, you have to be strong-minded enough to accept it and actually accept the challenge and take it on. Some people don't now. And one, one of the big changes I've, I think I saw in my career was by the back end of it, the influence on parents at that stage. You know, if you get a letter like that and you take it home and, and mum's going, oh, that, that's not right, you're brilliant. You know, the, the, it, it needs to, so it, it's a really, you've got to be, like me, I was self-driven. If I'd have got that letter, I would have just got the bit between my teeth. And I imagine Danny would have done something similar, but it's a tricky environment now. There's a lot of people surround younger players who'll tell them that that's not I think, right. I think you're spot on. And like, I mean, you say not just sports people, but I, the, the whole football culture as well. You hear so many coaches, and I'm not just talking sort of, you know, senior first team coaches at academy level, where they can't have honest conversations with players and with family members of that player because it's everything's taken too personally you know and that's probably that's probably still more the case in football than it is i imagine with young rugby league players but just in life in general we live in a society don't we of just moaning of sort of you know feeling sorry for yourself and there's no kind of stiff upper lip and getting on with it anymore mm. but that back in the day was that the the commentary was everyone in that leeds academy doing that if rob did rob burrow get a letter like that I, I don't, prob rob's probably wouldn't have been as um probably as seething as mine as to the point but um I just think sometimes we, you know, I'm I'm caught in between the old the old school. I still think we need a little bit of old school in, in sport, and yeah. but I I appreciate now that younger younger players and younger people in society are different now. And but well, you're you, a coach now. Could you yeah. do that now with your I, players, with young I, players? I'd I'd have to. I understand. I'd like to understand my players. So I'd like to think the relationships that that you have with your players. You you, can, you know what you can say and what you can't say. Yeah. Um, and whether it's 
straight to the point and this is not good enough or it's... Surely the Dean Bell story has come out a few times yeah, in your, your little chats with you. The, it's a pat on the back or yeah. a pat on the backside, come on, mate, I've got you here. It's it's, it's emotional intelligence. Yeah, it? it's, it's understanding your, your, your players that you've got and, and what makes them tick a little bit. I, and I read this, I watched a podcast and it was with uh, Simon Sinek. The, this, I um, love it, you know, yeah. yeah. Read his so, book, why? Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, so he's great. And one thing he was saying that we need to understand about the new, younger generation of people is parenting evolved, didn't it? From parenting, I imagine that I've had and that we all had, which is, it's a bit of tough love. Like there's there's an element that you loved, but you, you, you sort of confront sort of harsh realities of life quite soon. You're aware of what's required to get on. Whereas there's a group of young people now who've gone through the whole life being told anything is possible. You can do whatever you want. Every, you know, whatever you want to do, you can do. And, and he was saying like, that's fine, but it's got to be balanced with a bit of realism as well. Like, I didn't think anything was possible. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I All I thought is I've got to, like, rinse my body to get the most out of myself like, that I can because that's my so only way. That comes be... from the sort of Arthur Miller American dream kind of, you know, yeah. in society, doesn't it? You can do anything if you put your mind to it. You know, let's yeah. get everyone going in the right direction. Yeah, and I just think that it's... I don't know where I sit with it. I think I agree. I think society's changed, but I think parenting's changed. I think the way that kids are brought up has changed. It's like, you can go and do anything you want. You can be... You can be a YouTuber with three million followers from your bedroom in, in Preston, you know what I mean? You can do whatever you want, go out and do whatever you want. Like, and I just think there's somewhere in between that's right. And, but we sit at a crossroads now of you know the old and the new. And I think that's probably always the case through time, isn't it? There's always, you know, 10 years ago, there was people having a similar conversation to us, but about Same with life. everything, isn't it? A little bit of balance, a little bit of yeah. both, a little bit of everything. But yeah, that tough loves. Half that rice, tough, half chips. Tough yeah. loves. <laughs> Very <laughs> nice, Mark. Um, look, so, I mean, look, we've had Brian McDermott on, haven't we, John? Mm. Mark? We've had JJB on, we've, we've had, had yep. Jamie Peacock on. Um, so lots of Leeds legends, and now we've got Mr. Maguire. So, and we've asked this question to them. And again, we, we could do two, three, four hours on it. But why was that team, and you know the team I'm talking about, but why was it so successful? If you can succinctly sum that up in about half an hour. Uh, regular players. Always helps when you've got players that, are, that can play. Um, I think probably the biggest thing was selflessness. I reckon the biggest attribute we had. Um, we had we had a lot of good players that were happy at times to share the headlines a little bit. And I think when when you're okay with that, when you realise that you're not going to be the the star every week, you might have a seven out of ten performance, but some you know. Jamie Peacock might have took 30 carries and had an eight or nine, and he might he might get the head the headlines that week. And and I think we had a really good balance of of that and understanding and, and appreciated when somebody else was successful and man of the match or a, an at trick or so I think we were but we so we were selfless but we were competitive as well. So like we'd we'd train and I'd be fighting with Jonesy. We'd be you know, be rolling about on the floor. JP would be scrapping with Ryan Bailey, and so we we were competing constantly <laughs> in training. You know, probably the same at Saints. They were they were at each other, and I think our standards our standards of practice was in you know intense and at, at a really good level. And I think sometimes, you know, how can I say this without sounding bad? I'm not sure we're able to train like that now. Yeah. Training's like everything's on GPS and. You can't do this much contact because of this, and um, everything's a little bit different. So there's almost the modernisation of the game is taking a lot of the bite out of it. I, I think so. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I have no issue with if I'm coaching and two of my players are. I, I actually love that. 
Yeah. It, it shows that they care. It shows that they they want to improve. They're, they're passionate about what they believe in. And I'm not saying you know going overboard and having a a big scrap, but when they're at each other, it, 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 to me that you know that tells me that they care about what they're doing. And um, I'd like that role a little bit. Uh, I'm just intrigued because sort of 40, 50 miles down the road, mm -hmm. there's your training sessions and what yeah. you're doing. But given how successful they were, and look, you you guys were a great team as yeah, well. Yeah. But w was there ever that sort of thought of like, I wonder what they do that gives them that extra little bit or yeah. that little bit that gets them over the line or what? Yeah, no. They, well, the, what what they did better than us was win the big game at the end of the year. You mm -hmm. know, ultimately, I think probably throughout that period. I think we probably topped the league. We we ended up league leaders more throughout that period, but we never converted that into grand final wins. And I watched some of the grand finals back, and one thing that leads the timing, their timing was incredible. And I don't know how you quantify that or how you train or coach that, but it just seemed in the crucial moments of games that they they got the timing right, and and there was a a fluency of thought, of reaction between a lot of their players that we just we just didn't have. Uh, uh, and and also I thought the style that you played at that time quite suited those cold nights in October. Like I watched some of these finals and we were trying to play like ridiculous. And we, we'd lose the ball and then you'd take three or four carries, boom, kick long, chase hard, defend like champions wait for us to make a mistake and then Danny had scored two or three tries and then I kind of watched two grand finals and realised, hang on, that they did that every year. <laughs> but everyone says about you and I, I watched that, it was a lovely little interview you did with JJB a few years ago and um, you're walking through the park where you used to do those gruelling runs up the hill with Tony and um, <clears throat> the one thing he said about you, I think Jamie Peacock said the same about you, Rob said it when we had him on, is that you were, the, you were a big game player. Not everyone's a big game player. So where does that come from in you? Bit of ego, I suppose. Is it? Bit of ego. I think, in a, in a in a good way. I think I, I wanted to. I enjoyed the big occasions. I felt like when the bigger the game, <laughs> the more excited and the more I bounce. If 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 that makes sense, if we, you know, no disrespect to me. If we're playing Salford away on a Friday, I, I'd still turn up and, and do my job, and I'd still be there, and I'd still you know I'd still enjoy what I was doing. But when it was Saints or Wigan or Bradford in the early part, that I, that that's when ears would prick up a little bit, and um, and I think the big games kind of probably suited the way I played as well. I was very like uh, able to take opportunities and good reactions and that type of thing. So I think I was always instinctive, instinctive, yeah, and able to like react a little bit quicker to other than other people and. Um, and like I say, in finals and big games, you may only get two or three opportunities to be to to to, to put one on your, your opponent's chin, and if you don't take it, you end up losing. And um, you know, I'd, <laughs> luckily, nine times out of ten, I were always in the right place. Eight, eight times out of nine. Yeah, eight times out of nine. <laughs> it's amazing though when you watch the game, watch big games back. Is you know, you, we we in rugby, we spend all week we practice sort of structure or we practice you know, I don't know, specific sort of set players or we practice shapes or moving the ball in a certain way. And when you watch grand final tries back, it is mind-blowing how few come through anything of the sort. It'll be ball on the ground, someone picks it up, you know, Danny skips back to the inside of the line, scores a try. Lee Smith hacks a 40-20 out of nowhere. You know, then somebody offloads the ball. It's Rob, on the Rob's deck, try in 2011. Yeah, ducks under a marker. Yeah, yeah. It's like unstructured stuff that you can't train to defend against. 
and and I think sometimes we fall into a trap, and sometimes I get bored at games when I watch a game, and and, and you know why you, you know why you like watching Jack Wellsby is the same reason I like watching Jack Wellsby because he falls out of all this structure and just starts running around, and I'm like, when you're doing that, I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen as a viewer. So I think in sport we want to be entertained, not by predictability, but by these people who can, like Danny always did throughout his career, is impromptu pieces of brilliance. Because in big games, if we, nobody's ever done it, but I reckon if you broke it down, how many tries are scored just through that reaction? And, yeah. and well, that's a good time to ask you about Rob's try because I mean, it, yeah, yeah, and you're really good mates with him, um, and it is one of the greatest grand final tries, if not the, isn't it? The 2011 against Saints. Yeah. Where were you on the pitch? What were you thinking when he got that ball and, and the sort of your reaction to it with yeah. what he did that night? It's actually really interesting that because I, I room with him and um, he, he was he was having a really tough time because he'd obviously been dropped to the bench and he wanted his relationship with um, Brian at the time wasn't great. And, and obviously I was playing in basically in his position. Kev was playing the other half back. And so I was trying to smooth things over and saying, you know, you, you'll be fine. And, Trying to keep the connection between Rob and uh, Rob and the coach um, a little bit, and you know you'll come on and you'll win game for us type of thing. And um, I could see he, he agreed with me. And um, one thing about that time is Rob never dropped his standards, even though we were disappointed that he wasn't playing. And then obviously he came on and that unbelievable try. I think he was organising a play, and I was out the back, and I screamed for it, and then I just set off and supported him. And I'm, I think I'm the first one there to to um, to jump on him, even though. I think I might have been fastest I've ever run. Actually, I was 15 meters behind him and uh, jumped on him just as it jumped just after he scored. And but I think that's the the magic and the impromptu stuff that um, you know, especially Rob was was capable. That must of. open up so many emotions watching that for so many reasons. Yeah, that yeah, yeah, it's special, really, really, really special moment. And I think you you probably got little moments in in all the game. You, you forget half of the things that, that have gone on and. You think back, somebody will say to you about 2015 and that's probably the end with Jamie Peacock because it was his last game and Kev leaving and just them three being, Kylie Lillewile leaving, just them three hugging and us trying to get on top of them. That's that's my lasting memory from that game and no matter you know whatever else went on in the game. You, you talked about selflessness earlier on. What about accountability? How big was that for that Leeds setup? Yeah, Yeah, I think we... I don't want to sound disrespectful respectful to any of the coaches that we had, but we kind of run that ourselves as players. You know, the, the standards and, um, you know, what we did away from the, the game. Um, not saying we were, we were perfect. You know, we, we like to celebrate. You know, we like to be here. We like to celebrate. But um, we, our, our, we had a really good culture. And anybody that didn't sort of fit into the club and did the right things often, you know, was out, was out, or you know, want, want taken in by the group, and we, we, we sort of try to word this right. It was run, run yeah, by the pack ran by, then, was ran it? by the players really. Yeah. And, you know, I think Brian Mack was unbelievable at, at managing everything. Um, he probably don't get the credit he deserves, but um, he was great at overseeing everything and, and making sure everything was was running smooth. Whereas, like, when you've got a good team and a successful team. A lot of your culture and your day-to-day stuffs, you know, run by the players. It's so much more powerful when the players run that and set the standards rather than a coach. Because I think as a young player coming through and being told something by the head coach, it's like being told off by the teacher, and you can kind of back chat or whatever. But if a Simfield or Peacock or yourself says something, 
you've got nowhere to hide and you've, you've got to really respond to that. <clears throat> but one thing I look back on from that Leeds period, I remember I watched the, the documentary, I can't remember the name, from 15 when you won the treble. And um, one thing I remember is all the players used to reward effort. So uh, Brett Delaney was a solid player, but he worked his balls off for the lads, didn't he? Yeah. And the amount of times that the, the, the main players referenced his attitude on the field and what he'd do for the rest of the players, he got more plaudits than anybody else. And it was all about rewarding effort. And I, having played against you and, and seeing you on the telly and the way you played, I think that, that um, recognition for just effort was what probably set you that little bit apart. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. And I think we had, you know, we had players that probably, um, you know, somebody like Brett and, you know, Jonesy to a degree. Jonesy was a grafter. Jonesy was, you know, your Carl Ablitz, your Gideon Kirks, players that probably don't get the recognition they deserve. And, and you're right, you know, a lot of our uh, key trademarks were all effort-based stuff. And, and they, were, they were the leaders in that, you know, some of them boys, but probably didn't, um, you know, didn't get the recognition that they deserved, but were appreciated from within. The, the culture thing I find interesting because, you know, you're saying about it's you know, not being disrespectful to coaches, the players ran it. Well, I always find it mega interesting in sport when I think we've seen it at Wigan, you say Matt Pete's come in and the culture's changed and, 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 and look, he gets attributed with the cultural change at a club. Rowan Smith's come in, he started to change the culture. And it's just bullshit because it, it, it's never just down to one person. Like the change at Leeds and their changing form, like sure, Rowan Smith coming in, it'll have changed things. The players have changed. The staff will have changed. Everybody's just shifted how they behave. And and same at Wigan this year. You know, you remove some of like a Jackson Hastings, Matt Pete comes in, and all of a sudden then the culture shifts. Do you know what I mean? So it takes everybody. It's, it's too easy in life to go, that's the reason why we ended up being like that. You know, that one person. You know, that one coach changed everything. It's not. It's just in interconnected. Players have to own it. Coaches own it. Fans are part of it. You know, the staff are part of it. So the culture of your club is is, is just... We, we often look for one person to completely change it all, but realistically, everyone's involved. You know? But what was so impressive then is, you know, I, I get that, and you guys have all captained teams, but so if you, if you own accountability, there's what there's one thing doing that for... A, a season or two seasons as a captain to do it as long as you guys were successful for you know maintaining standards sustaining that level that's that's what really intrigues me about you guys and how you how you did it so many times yeah, yeah. and I, I think i touched on that with with our saints are traveling at the minute and going for a, a fourth um a fourth title and i think I'm, I'm not gonna lie i think at times it it does get on top of you the the, pr the pressure and the, the expectation does um does wear away on you a little bit and you see at times that you know we had we had a, a couple of times where we'd have a slump in the middle of the season we'd have we'd lose a couple of games we'd look way out of touch but we were always um able to regroup and we had that much confidence in each other that we knew that 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 were kind of going to happen we almost expected to have a little bit of a tough spell and that kind of then was well, we didn't like that that was the motivation then to kick on and and uh, and find our run towards the back end. We always we always seem to hit a bad spell mid season. We get over it and we'd finish strong. And it, it, we had a, we we had a formula that worked. We I I probably say we didn't train the hardest, but we'd probably trained the smartest. We we had a formula that that worked for us. Did that um, become more pronounced, Danny? You know that that <laughs> the leads like 
dip in form. Uh, what I'm trying to get to is the point where you go down to 16, 17, and, you, and you're like bottom of the league, then you win it. You know what I mean? And then you're bottom of the league. I, I, did that sort of those dips come become ex more extended? You know, the longer um, towards the back I end. I think they probably that. did towards the back end of my time, especially in. Um, in 16, that, that, was, that was a tough year um, and that was a tough one to get over. But I think we had we had some subplots in 17, I were leaving, Rob was retiring, um, which galvanised us. And, you know, Cass were the, the best team through 17, without a doubt. No, <laughs> you know, there's no getting away from that, but we were able to find a way. That um, muscle memory, done it. Been to get before. the job done, yeah. yeah. And, and we'd been there, we, we knew how to play in that game. And I kind of knew that Cass's style... A play didn't didn't suit. Uh, yeah, twenty six hours they made a, a soggy from. night in yeah. in Manchester on a in a you know start of October. You, you've got to appreciate the finer things. And I'd, I'd, I had I had good friends with Luke Gale, and the way they were planning on playing, um, I was quietly confident because I knew that that wasn't going to get Do the you job know done. The game plan? I didn't know the game plan <laughs> to a degree, but <laughs> what's your tip sheet um, this week? Yeah, I knew that you know Cassie's style. Yeah, you know were, how they're going to embed how they played that year. It were embedded and. Obviously, lost they lost Zach at the back end, which was another big factor for us. Um, but we just found a formula. We found a, a few formulas really. We were able to, um, like I say, we I'd say we probably middle of, of how hard we trained. I'd I'd speak to some of the other players playing at other clubs, and they'd be getting absolutely flogged. And um, we'd be finishing at, at dinner time, and you know our conditioner Jason, who were with us, Jason Davidson, who were with us for a number of years. Um, you know. I'm, I'm not going to sound bad here, but he, he wasn't the technical, most technical conditioner, but he, he understood the players. He knew when we needed uh, when he needed to pull the brakes on. He knew when we needed a bit more recovery. He knew when to go at us. Um, and he was a massive part of um, you know, our success without probably getting applauded. It's a bit like you know, some of them effort-based players. They're the best coach. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you, you described Justin Holbrook like that, haven't you? Just knowing when to push the right buttons. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just just the, the balance of, of when knowing when to push and when to pull yeah, yeah. is like a skill because yeah. I think naive coaches will push too much maybe. Yeah. And then there's coaches who maybe at the back end are a bit more tired about things and they look to pull, you know, yeah. <laughs> and they go, right, I'm not, you know, let's get home, lads. And, and there's somewhere in between and there's a balance to be had. Yeah. You know, we speak a lot about balance, Will, don't we? But... But that you, I think in a season you've got a, an amount of energy you can contribute, emotional and physical energy towards getting the job done, and allocating that smartly at the right times of year is sometimes as important as anything. You know, we've seen it so many times, haven't we? Teams have started off the season like a house on fire. I, think, I remember Huddersfield a few times were brilliant and they died. I remember at Salford we finished in the top eight, lost every game by about forty. Hull have done it a few times, mm. FC. I think having that experience behind the scenes of knowing wh when you've got to be good and Leeds have been better than anybody. You won it from fifth once or twice, I think. Yeah, twice. Yeah. Just knowing that, that the playoff is when you've got to play well. and As long as you're in the heart, yeah. you can do and that. And that, the bit was interesting for me is after that period of success where you went bottom, won, bottom. And like, for me, like I, that, because I mean, at Saints, when, I think when we were bad, we were like, we, you know, we sort of, we dipped a little bit. We were finished third or fourth. I think we finished fourth and f maybe fifth. But when I was watching that, you know, as an outsider, yeah, yeah. I was just thinking like, how do you, you, you know what so I mean? Hard and then yeah, so like hard, you, yeah. you're like bottom-ish and then you're winning it. And I'm like, it, you know, my mind is like, how does this work? I don't <laughs> know what's going time, on. Yeah. 
I, honestly, I, I think I've erased 2016 out of my... Because that was my first year as captain as well. Kev had, Kev had left, JP had left. And but you wouldn't I, have 2017 if it wasn't for 2016. Exactly. And again, we spoke about it before, about like little little setbacks and little things that don't go your way. And at that, after that year, I went back I went back training on my own. Um, and one of our physios stayed behind an extra three weeks with me. Uh, I'd had a foot, a foot problem and I thought, right, this is not my, that's not how people are going to remember me. And I started back three weeks before everybody else. Um, and then obviously I had 2017, which turned out to be a really good finish. Um, and yeah, and I remember, I remember thinking 16, like, <laughs> couldn't have gone any worse. As first, you know, first year as captain, I wanted to set a real good example. And um, it just didn't go to plan. And I think every, every player has, you know, some form of, of disappointment. And it's about being able to react and respond to them to them setbacks. It's interesting because like from 2004 to 2017, how much that team has changed and you know, all the coaches you've had and different captains and players, that, great players that you've lost and young players that have come through. From the outside, when you're winning, you know, eight times out of nine in the grand final, it all just looks rosy, it yeah. looks glorious, doesn't it? But because you're doing so well, those dark, hard days never get highlighted or not even mentioned. Yeah, no, I mean, we had, we had some tough times. Some, uh, you know, I remember a few times, uh, Famous uh, Gary Gary Edrington coming in and the worst performance in the club's history, and then wow. we went we went on to win the grand final about six weeks later. Uh, so <laughs> that was his Dean Bell moment. Yeah, there's, there's you know there's, there's been tough times, but you know it's not everything's from the from the outside at times it can look like everything's rosy and everything's so straightforward, but there's challenges, there's you know injuries and. Uh, you that know, makes it all the more sweeter when you do, wouldn't it? Though, doesn't yeah, of course. And then you appreciate, you know, you appre when the good times come, you appreciate them so much more because you know what it's, you know what it's like to not have the, the such good times. Mm. Can I do? Can I do an analogy about culture? Well, go on. I think you'll like it. Go on. <clears throat> sure, I will. So, right, do, you, do you like orange cordial? Uh, no, I used <laughs> no, to when I was that. Do you like orange cordial? Robinson's? Yeah, like, like yeah, yeah. when I was or really young. Brand. Yeah. Just an well, orange sorry, cordial. Unless Robinson's a sponsor in the so podcast. Like, I, think, water. I think culture's like cordial well. Right. <laughs> right. Stick with me. Okay. Right. So, right. The, the cordial itself is like the good stuff, right? And, and as time goes, teams change and you get diluted a little bit and you get diluted a little bit. And eventually there has to be enough cordial left in that bottle for it still to taste like orange, doesn't it? And I think at great clubs, you retain a critical mass of that cordial is still a strong cordial. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't get watered partridge. down. It doesn't get watered down as much. And I think one of the big challenges, like you, when you said in, in 15, three of your big guys left, well, that, that tank might have been delete, depleted right down just for a year. And you've, what's important is you've just got to keep enough of that in the bottle to then keep replenishing. Because the young guys then take it on and they become stronger and stronger and stronger. But once you dilute it down and it's gone, you get in a situation like maybe like a Man United are, where you know what they're talking about is the shirt, but the, the bottle's empty. Mm. There's not none of the juice that was in the class of '92's left. Yeah. It's gone. So you got to like stock it back up with something different. It's not an orange squash now, will it's black currant. Go for Vimto. Maybe it's a Vimto. <laughs> maybe it's a Vimto, but we just don't know, do we? That'll make it to Twitter, won't it? And, uh, and, and kids don't have too much cordial because it's not good for your teeth, is it? You're led to believe that as a kid. Oh, it's good cordial. Sugar it's got, free, got water in. Natural cordial. Um, so out of those eight moments and the eight times that you've lifted this little beauty, Danny, which moment would you bottle if you could choose one of them? Oh, I, probably selfishly, my last one, my last game for Leeds. I think... Again, probably touching on the, the the lads that left, obviously Kev, JP, and Kylie, like big characters within the team. And um, how can I put this without sounding bad? I think I, 
I kind of had a motivation to prove that... You could do it with Alan. Yeah. Um, that's fair. And I, I don't know if that sounds a bit uh, thingy, but it was a bit like, you know, I actually want myself and Rob to get a little bit of that and um, and that feeling and that... Um, what's the word? You know, I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but just that, that feeling of wanting to go out on a high and um, people to say, actually, the they could achieve something without the, the Sinfield, the, the Peacocks. Yeah, you've got them together a yeah. lot, don't yeah, you? Yeah, and we it all got kind of got like... <laughs> and I bet after that year in 16, everyone was saying, oh, the rubbish without Sinfield, yeah. Peacock and Lula, they, 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 they're not good anymore. And that, that would have stung as a player, yeah, it? especially 100%. as a captain. And, and, that, and that's exactly what the headlines were. It's our Leeds, uh, you know, the, I remember, so, like, obviously, I lived, it, I loved, lived in Leeds and you couldn't escape it. Everywhere I went, it's like, oh, what's gone wrong today? Well, oh, we've lost, you know, you've lost, every, every time we'd lost a game and... It were like a broken record. Oh, we're not going to be any good without Kevin JP. And I'm like, yeah, we're missing them. We're missing them. And I suppose deep down there were that like a little bit of right. Here we go. This is my time. My time to shine. And and, and in that the game, everything went. Everything went for me that game. I think the, yeah, the, you the were cast game. You were class, weren't you? And I was you were pretty good. determined. You that I were everywhere you were that game. Player again steps up. Um, so fast forwarding, sort of, um, you know, a few weeks after that that night and after the celebrations and so on in 2017, what were the emotions of, of leaving Leeds in the way that you did? Yeah, um, it was hard. It was hard because you know I, I just expected I'd, I'd play all my career at Leeds and finish and get a job at Leeds and be there for um, forever. That's that's basically I had no thoughts about playing anywhere else. Nothing, and then uh, the middle of that season, um, I'd had a little bit of uh, my relationship with Brian. I'll be honest, wasn't great. We had a really good we business relationship or captain coach relationship, but other than that, nothing. Um, but previously, for the previous seven years, good, really good relationship. Loved loved working with him. Um, <laughs> I, to be to be honest, he didn't do anything bad. He just a couple of you know just questioned me if, on a few things and. I thought it was a little bit uncalled for. Um, but again, that just gave me a little bit more motivation to show, I'll show you as well. That were another uh, another person that I was trying to prove prove wrong. And um, yeah, and, and Leeds, you know, Leeds didn't come forward with a contract. I knew I wanted to keep playing. I knew that I still had a bit more to give. And, you know, you, you're a long time retired in our sport. And I knew that I had a couple more years in, in me. And then, when, you know, the first meeting that I had with Gary and, he said that there was no contract there. That were gone straight away after that. Um, within a week, uh, I'd signed for, for care. Uh, and, and to be honest with you, sat here now, it's, it's the best thing that could have happened. Yeah, Honestly, really is. Really is. Well, well I want to get into the, to care. And obviously, you're coaching there and you're under a new coach for next season as well. And we'll talk about Tony Smith. But on the subject of Tony Smith, if I was to say to you then, favourite coach that you've played under your whole career, would, would it be Tony? That, that coach that got little bits out of you, those extra bits out. And, and you've already admitted you had great years under Brian. Yeah. Do you know what? Tony were outstanding. Um, Tony was an outstanding coach and he, he got us at Leeds at a brilliant time. We had we had a really young squad that were just, honestly, he, he could have said anything and we'd have, just, we'd have just cracked on with it. We were just, um, we just bought into everything that he brought and he, he kind of revolutionised the game a little bit. He, you know, he, he never thought about some the opposition kicking. He never thought about running back and getting back behind the ball quick in rugby league, they kicked and everybody had walked back behind the ball, and he made us run back, and it was like, okay, we'll get back, you know, and I can, we can attack earlier, and just all defensive things that he brought in, and a lot of effort-based stuff that that sort of is probably still really relevant in the in the game now. Um, 
and he, he was good. But, but Brian McLennan had some un unbelievable qualities as a coach as well. He was all about team spirit and togetherness. And uh, while he wasn't the most technical coach, he had some unbelievable, did some unbelievable things to, to make us a, a really tight tight unit. And, and Brian Mack was class. Um, although we didn't end we didn't end up on the best of terms. Um, you know, I loved um, loved my time working with him previously. Danny, what you've done there is you've named every coach that you. Yeah, no, I, and and that's and yeah. that's why um, we need we need someone at the top of the podium. Yeah. That's what we do in the media, isn't it? Just yeah, no, it's only a bit at the top, just because yeah. of of what he did for us as young players, um, and what he taught us, and, um, and and brought a lot of the culture stuff into into the club. So it's only a bit at the top, but not you know Brian and both Brian's won't be too far behind. Yeah, and how weird is that then going working with Tony? I'm not as a player. As a coach, do you know what I mean? That, that's a dip. I understand he's a great coach. You got on with him, but then you got to go work with him as a coach. Yeah. yeah. And, and how how was that? It was uh, interesting. It was yeah. good. <laughs> like, cause I was still playing at the time he came into coaches at yeah. KR. Um, Sheens had left, and um, it was all a bit quick. And um, I actually um, got Tony the job. I rang him up and um, said, "Look, there's an opportunity to come back and coach at KR. Would you be keen for it?" And he was enjoying being away from the game. He was doing some stuff in football, and he's actually enjoying, you know, not the pressure, not not the pressures of rugby league. But I ended up persuading him to come back, and um, obviously played played the rest of that season. And then I was, I before he he came to the club, I'd already agreed to do a, a recruitment role uh, at the club at KR. I was staying on to do some recruitment, some uh, coaching with the scholarship and academy. Uh, so I was like, I already had all my path set up, and. Uh, and Tony came in, and, and that changed a little bit. But um, but it was great to work with him. Learnt loads, learnt loads as, as an assistant coach, and um, he was di very different, though, very different coach to what had coached me. In what sense? A uh, lot more relaxed. He was really intense uh, as a coach at Leeds, and like disciplined, and you know everything was, um, you know everything was just. You couldn't get away with anything if you were a, you th you thought you were at the end of the screen in video review and you were walking or you weren't doing what you were supposed to be doing. You know, nine times out of ten now you probably get away with that. But when not when then, when not coaches then. mellow, do they do they lose the sparkle? Um, try to catch me out here. No, no, I'm just thinking. You know, like as Wayne, <laughs> uh, as, Wayne as Wayne Bennett no, no. mellowed. You know, like I mean, you I know, think do you lose your sort of what what the mojo that made the, you what the push you and the pull thing? Yeah, what changing I, I, changing I, with the yeah, times yeah. a little bit. Mm. I, and I think when you're young, the temptation as a coach is to push, push, and push. And and what I think as you get older, you just want to pull back and pull back and pull back. And and that's why that's why I asked about you and Tony because mm. you were at different stages yeah. of your coaching career, aren't you? At the same time, and I think I've I've found that in in my short spell as head coach now. It's full. It's so full on, and I probably didn't appreciate the time and effort. Not just like I, I love being on the field. My best part of the day is trying to improve the players on the field. That's that's where I get my kicks. You're still training like a player, and I'm you? still out there trying to out out with them and, and <laughs> battling with them. And 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 I, I love give that. Give it up, Danny. I, know, I need to give Stop that up. It. I need to give that up. But that's that's the best part of the day for me. Yeah. But then you finish coaching. You've got media commitments. You've got welfare commitments. You've got all sorts of other things that people don't appreciate outside the game. And that's that's actually <laughs> not mind-numbing, but it takes up a lot of time. It hasn't put me off, but I can understand now why coaches hand a lot of responsibility over to the assistant coaches. And people, you've got to get people around you that you trust, that can deliver, um, I suppose, what you want. They've got to be able to have their own ideas and brains and, you know, the assistant coaches have got to be able to grow and, and develop. But 
you've got to get a good team around you because you just haven't got the hours in in the day to make things work. So Tony sent you to do all the shit stuff, is what you're saying? No, no, he was, he was <laughs> Tony was unbelievable <laughs> with his assistance, and I, I, that's yeah. why I, that's why I learned so much because yeah. he he actually passed over some of the control yeah, to yeah. his coaches. Where yeah. you get some coaches that. Uh, you know, don't want to let any responsibility, yeah, they yeah. want to take it all in and, and, and not sort of give anything away to the, their assistants. And I think, I just don't think you can do that. You've got to, you've got to have confidence in your own ability as a head coach to be able to relinquish some of that power at times. Mm. It must have gone down really, really well, though, when, when Tony took the whole job. I think it's great. <laughs> I'm just thinking... <laughs> Paul Lakin's buzzing. He yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking buzzing. of the derbies next year, I think. <laughs> that's that's going to add some spice to yeah. that. If it, if I mean, it, when it didn't need any there's, spice. There's, some, there's a lot... Uh, John will know, obviously, he's, he's, he's a whole lad. and I ne didn't never played him at one of those. That's a really yeah. sore point. Sad. But the whole Daily Mail is a great like paper and website. <laughs> it's constant, you know, rugby league constantly all day, <laughs> different <laughs> stories. And they do a really good job to promote promote the game. He, he won't shy away from that, Tony, yeah. though, will he? He'll, he'll oh. ramp that up. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be outstanding. <laughs> you know, and obviously, we had, the, we had the last laugh we beat him with 16 a couple of weeks ago uh, with 16 players. So that you know, that'll still hurt next year. And, you know, we'll be a different team. We've got a new coach. Um, you know, they've got a new coach and, and obviously a different team as well. So, you know, it sets, sets it up to be a, yeah. to be a great it's game. It's interesting because we had um, Lee Breers on a couple of weeks ago and, you know, he didn't, he, he was quite honest about like, oh, I'm not really sure if I want to be a head coach. You know, bearing in mind how long he's been an assistant and sponging and learning the trade and obviously all the talents he had as a player in, in his coaching makeup. And you're more publicly like you. You do want to be a head coach one day, whether that's in five, ten years, or next year. You want to do it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and I, and I, but I'm I'm also a realist and know that I've got a hell of a lot more learning to do. And I I think sometimes because you've played rugby for um you know you've had a decent career and you've you've played for a long time, you think coaching you can just roll into it. And it, but it's actually I think you've got to do the sim, you know, a similar kind of apprenticeship to be able to understand coaching, understand everything that comes with it. And I think I've been coaching 18 months, two years. And for me to think I'm ready to be head coach, I think that's actually, uh, you know, it's almost disrespectful, disrespectful to the, to to, the, profession, to, to the yeah. guys that are yeah. head coaches. Now, if I think that I'm going to be on, on that level with that limited experience, it's quite disrespectful to some of them people that have, you know, Will, Willie Peters, for example, he's, he's been an assistant coach for, eight years at different clubs and he's earned the opportunity to, to come and work at, at KR and you know I've still got I've still got so much that I need to learn and earn before I'm in that position. You've got to be patient I imagine as an assistant there must be sometimes some frustrations in games because you've played the game and you know and you've smelled the game and you know the game so well yeah that you have to sit there and go like well that's what the boss wants to do. I think so but I think that's the the part of being loyal and, and being a, a good assistant and getting people around you that you you trust and that I'd hate to have an assistant coach or coaches around me that agreed with everything that I said. What a waste of time! What a waste of time that is. Yes, men. What a waste of time that is. It's, mm. If people are gonna just say yes to everything you say, you might as well not bother. You might as well just have you be there yourself. Yeah, dissenting opinion, like different yeah, opinions around. Give me something. Give yeah, me something different and constructive. Yeah. And I, I can't sit there and not say what I believe in or mm. try for us to try and improve and try and get better. And I think that's often why coaches take their, like, you know, like somebody goes and there's a clear out and then they bring guys in with them because they, I think coaches find people who can give them that challenge. And they're often people they know very well. Like you'd have a frank conversation with Jonesy yeah. that you wouldn't have with me or Flash, maybe. Yeah. You know, you could have a frank, 
honest discussion with people who you know yeah. and that, that genuine feedback not somebody yeah. who's beholden to you for a job yeah. is it, like is really it, it takes years to build those relationships doesn't it of that, that honesty but it coming from a good place yeah. i remember um i was at saints i was probably dropped again <laughs> and uh and i knew jamal alisi was the assistant coach he always used to back me and he always used to push me to play and i remember after a training session i was like why aren't i playing he was like look nothing to do with me and he was on the side of Nathan Brown, the coach, because he would never publicly dissent him. Because he was yeah. like, we had a chat and we decided to go on this way. You'd have to speak to Brownie. Well, at the time, I was annoyed because I thought, I should be playing. But I took from it that the, the respect between an assistant and a head coach yeah, yeah. is united front. You do the right thing yeah. together, don't you? And you might, you know, you might not have agreed. But yeah. Like you say, I, I've had conversations with, with Tony where we'd have different views on players and you chat to the other coaches and, you know, the head coach ultimately makes the, that decision and one of the players that in playing might come up and speak to me and I'd look look it's just the way we're going this week and you, you've got to you've got to try and stick stick tight as a unit as well as you, as, you know the, the same you do as a team I suppose that the staff have to do that as well mm. so look I mean the, from the outside and not knowing you that well Danny the perfect narrative would be one day Danny Maguire whether again that's in five ten years is the Leeds head coach given all the trophies you won you won there but has the way that it ended changed that thought in your mind? Uh, yeah, a little honestly, a little bit, yeah. Um, and I'm still on really good terms with everyone at the club. I still deep, you know, I've got a deep connection with Leeds that I'll never ever lose. I'm I'm born and bred in in the city, and obviously I love 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 the football and 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 the you know I always have that connection with with the Rhinos, no matter whatever happens, whether I, I do ever go back there coaching. Um, but I, I'm going to be, you know, I love where, where I'm at at the minute, I really do. I love, love working at KR, love the club, love the people, love the, the supporters, um, really loyal and um, I'm back, back the team and, you know, it's a really, good, really, really good place to work. So um, at the minute, I can't see myself doing anything different I'm really really content in, in what I'm doing so when you're just saying that then about the time you know Leeds where you sort of have that conversation you're not getting a contract like that that <laughs> it just took me back like to a moment in my career where I was going to extend my play my final year at St Helens and I was just going to finish at St Helens and having a conversation and and then being told oh the contracts that we'd offer you is not there anymore we've given it to Joseph Paolo instead and I was like what the fuck like and at that point like you know what it is that that moment it and it leaves a bit of it it's not it's not only bitterness or anything you just realize what you are you realize at that moment what you have been and what you are you know as i i am doing a job of work and if they believe i can't do that job of work that you're gone or they're going to go a different direction and in your mind it's quite hard to deal with that and that that point is like it's gut-wrenching for people you know where you think, right? I, I'm, this is me. I'm, I'm done. This is, I'm invested completely in this. For someone to say, ah, actually, there's not a contract for you. Well, loyalty is a one-way street in sport, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's plays to clubs, and I think the other way around. It's, it's quite rare that it's reciprocated. And I think from the outside, there's, it, it, it's perceived like there is a two-way street with loyalty. But I think we've probably all experienced the fact that you are a commodity, and it's, it's not. The, the, the emotional attachment probably isn't there from the clubs to the players either. But it's around. just that that moment, that moment, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And you're like, and it's surprised, you know, you said how quick you sorted something else. Yeah. I look back, like, I did the same thing. 
It was like three days, four think, days I done. I think there's, a, there's an anger element to yeah, that as well. Yeah, sure. Like, I was angry, yeah. I was angry. they didn't actually, you know, there's nothing here for you. I'll show you. I'll get some within a couple of days, which, 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 which you did, and no, I did which, I, which you did, and which I did. And, um, I, yeah, you know, I think we all realise we, we're part of a part but of a business. But it's always sort of sent to the yeah. adoption agency, isn't it? Is it? There's a sort of quite mixed well it's quite mixed <laughs> some, some, well you've been, you have been a child of Leeds haven't you and then suddenly it's like you're not wanted one day yeah it's I was talking to, to Flash before about like when I when I left and although at the time it was really heavy heart but I didn't see anything other than Leeds mm. it, everything was Leeds we do it this way we do it that way we do this is how we do it this is mm. this is the way to do it and then seeing somewhere else wow it was like yeah. it's like I had uh 3D goggles on it, it was like, yeah. and, and at KR at the time, I didn't have anywhere to sit on my first day, I didn't have a locker, so I stood up in the corner, I stood up in the corner. <laughs> Imagine how awkward Danny uh, was. So just like that. Okay, yeah. and, and like the, the, the facilities weren't the best, we'd have everything done for us at Leeds, we, you know, everything laid on a plate, and I thought, yes, this is good. That's a rude awakening, that, isn't it? We have to work for this, we have yeah. to, um, you know, this is a, this is a good challenge, and, mm. and, and that was like, as soon as that started to happen, I thought, you know, the, the the games were tough. Like, don't get me wrong, we we didn't win many games in that first year, but but I loved it. It was a different style of play, working with different players, a, a coach that played attack and didn't really do much defence. So it suited me a little bit. Scrum scrum players. scrum players, and and I I thought this is ace. Loved it. Your challenge is that you you've been in such a strong environment for so long, but your weakness would be that you hadn't seen enough of other things. Yeah. You know, and to be a rounded coach. Mm. You know, that's that's part of the journey. Isn't all, it? all the players that you played with, and you must think about all those sort of glory days more now that you've hung up your boots. Who'd, who'd be that one player that you would take to the desert island with you? Not not because they'd be good on a desert island and knocking down <laughs> coconuts from trees, but just that you'd want to spend time with like that. That's just like he was incredibly good at building bonfires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know what? Jimmy Jones a boat can, <laughs> can build a raft yeah. if you give him three Tom barrels Cruise and some twine. From, uh, not Tom, but Tom Hanks from Castaway. Tom Cruise. Tom, different Hanks, film, both, isn't it? That's both. cocktail. Actually, Tom Cruise. That's cocktail. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a great film. Yeah. But who, who would it be? Who would you go for? Uh, I don't know who I'd want to be stranded on a desert island with. Uh, <laughs> Forget the desert island. Is that one? Desert, that one, one player. player that I, I think there's a couple of categories. I think for a player to be able to raise players' standards around him, I've never seen anybody do it like Jamie Peacock. Mm -hmm. Just he'd be good on a desert island. To be fair, he probably would. <laughs> he probably would. It's like catching fish. He'd be catching. Yeah, he'd be fine. He'd <laughs> be like that, like a seal coming out with just a shark and his grizzly mouth. in the river. Yeah, that's it, yeah. send him off hunting. Um, but just like the, the, the way it, what he demanded off the players around him and. Mm. He never said or did anything that he wasn't going to do himself. He'd mm. always take the tough carry, and you know, skill skill wise, probably in the bottom ten of players mm. that I've ever played with. But men mental toughness, it's the military background, oh, the military man. mental toughness, just like off off the charts, really, just to be able to turn up and put his body through what what, what he did, and mm. and still do it week in week out with that consistency was was sensational. And then like you look at players like you know Rob, Kev, Brent Webb. Danny Badiris, like skill-wise, like sensational, and it's like almost combining that mental mindset of things with the the attributes of a mm -hmm. few different players as well. You'd be a great politician when you just named like the coaches, named all it the is, coaches. Yeah, I'd take them, yeah, take them all. There's only space yeah, for yeah. one. It's only is it is it Peacock? Yeah, I'd, I'd have JP. Yeah, I'd yeah. have to put him in there. JP would go. Just, 
Because um, he'd look you after know. me as well. And he I, would. And I sat, <laughs> and I sat next to him in changing rooms. So. Be a good spoon, it wouldn't he, yeah. JP? I don't good, know. Good snuggle. Well, There'd be nothing, nothing worse than seeing a big tattooed arm just creep <laughs> over your shoulder <laughs> just through a banana leaf, just like that. <laughs> right, John. I'm <laughs> like that. Do, do, do you find that? I mean, I, I always like this sort of image of um, you know when you're in the nursing home in you know hopefully not 10 years, 20 years, but you know 40 years time, Danny, and you're rocking back and forward with all your mates. You're all there together, JJB. You know, the sort of about this. Just <laughs> rugby league nurse. You know. <laughs> hey, Dave would take that, wouldn't they? Channel Five. I'll be on telly if you, somewhere. If you, if you don't put it out, Channel Five will. <laughs> I'll be like the Rick Edwards, sort of made in Chelsea. I'll just come in and say something. But no, but I mean, I'm, I'm getting to the point that you know, you obviously you've hung up your boots now. So, so for all these years, you haven't been able to reminisce. You know, you look at this trophy and you probably look at it quite coldly, just like yeah, being there, done it. Uh, next game, whatever. Now there is no next game. I know there yeah. is coaching wise, but can you look back with more emotion? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think I said it as a, as a coach when when we won our last game in the derby the other day, and the celebrations after you cannot replicate that 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 feeling. Even even as a coach, it don't it don't stimulate me the same as it did when I played. When you're able to tap your mate side here and know that you've both invested that much and you've got the job done, that you can't replicate that feeling. And I think a lot of players, that's what you you struggle with when you when you finish playing. Um, and you know you reminisce, and you've got you know you talk about all the good times, and but you do miss it. You know, you, you, there's no I do anyway. Some people you know have got different things going on, and diff, you know have totally got different paths away from rugby league. And but I certainly miss that um, that connection and being able to nudge him at end at game, knowing yeah. you've, um, it's dangerous spending too much time in in the past. You know, reminiscing. Yeah, yeah. To, it's good. I think it's really good to just drop in and just yeah. You know, like. When I think about my career, I think about little moments. You know, you don't spend a lot of time agonising, thinking about it. You just think about it. You just have a laugh. or yeah. you, oh, I, mem I remember that. Fuck but do you know what made me think of that? You know, you, you, for example, you did that interview with, with James Roby. Mm. And, you know, you looked at some canvases yeah, and yeah, yeah. in particular moments. It's something you would have never done as no, players. No, 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 but no. you can do it now. And yeah, yeah. And I, and I think it's really good to do. It's just dangerous if you do it too yeah, often. Yeah. Mm. Because if you spend living too in the much, past, if yeah. you spend too much time back there, or you spend too much time up there, you're not here, and, yeah. and mm -hmm. a, a lot of yeah. being good yeah. in life is being present, isn't mm -hmm. it? So we just, you know, it's good to remember. Don't live in the past, live yeah. in the present. When you played half back, 2014. I do talk about that most days, <laughs> actually. <laughs> <laughs> and you nearly went and knocked Ben Flower out, didn't no, you? Yeah, he was already off. <laughs> <laughs> Danny Legend, thank you so much, mate, for Cheers coming guys. down, and spending yeah, some time with us. Um, enjoy the grand final, everyone. Should we be a good will. one, that shouldn't we it? Who's going to win it, Mark? Leeds Saints. 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 John. I don't know. I don't have know. no idea. Don't don't say you don't know about something again. Hon honestly, I don't know. No. I, I I think Saints, <laughs> but I've just got a feeling Leeds are just yeah. They're just fizzing at the minute, aren't they? Like a bottle of pop, will not cardio. Like <laughs> are you going to level it up and say <laughs> no, Saints? I'm going to go Leeds. Yeah, I think Leeds have got the momentum behind them and some confidence uh, flowing through the veins there. So. I think you might get the job done. Yeah, be a good one, wouldn't it? Right, thank you so much, everybody. No, 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 no. It's the last one of the season. You did the wrong noise then. It's like you're taking a mic. You were meant to be. That was an upset. That noise. It sounds like a constipated You do one, Mark. What's the sad noise now? Last one, is it? Yours was really Hopefully, we'll be back. Yes, that was it. Hopefully, we'll be back next year. One, because we need the money. And two, because we like it. 
It's yeah, been good. it's been good. It's been a good season. I think we have some good good guests on. Highlights. You kicked off with highlights. Matt Pete, didn't you? Highlights. Without me, um, I really like Robbo when Jason Robinson came on. It was brilliant. Danny yeah. Maguire, because we have to say that because he's sat there now. <laughs> um, uh, Mark, there's been some really there's been some really good uh, Matt ones. Matt Pete was good. Um, Lee Radford, some good stories. Yeah, all the ones you did without Cut. me. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, there's um, a theme, ooh. a trend. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, no, it's been good. We've, no, we've, we've been, done we've what, 16, 17. We? We've had some crackers yeah, yeah. this year. Some yeah. real good mm. stuff. Yeah, we've gone places we didn't expect as well this year. I think mm -hmm. even though you know young young boys getting Brodie Croft on was good. Mm -hmm. You know Lee Briers, loads of people that we got. We still got a massive list of people we want to get on. Mm. I wanted to get Danny on for a few years. It's taken him what six series to come down, but he's too busy golfing. Is yeah. he on cricket now? And we, betting, we, we betting on golf horses. Yes, you like your horses, don't you? We didn't tell the, the story when you handed off a policeman. Should we tell that quickly before we go? Go on then. Well, you can tell it. I wasn't there. Well, when, when you, you when had a little running with the races. Yeah, well, you know, you had a little running with the police when you were going into a bookies. Oh yeah. Come on, finish with that. <laughs> finish with that. No, it's out there. I've seen it on on the internet already. Yeah. Um, I was just minding my own business. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just keeping out of trouble. Minding my own business. I love that saying. I was just minding my own business. Just enjoying the day. The sun was shining. Enjoying the day. <laughs> Walking to put my uh, lucky 15 on at my local bookies. And, uh, Do you remember what bet you were putting on? I can't remember. Was it, on? It, was a, it was a horse though, yeah? Yeah, it was yeah. A, I think... Yeah, it was just a horse. I was just probably... Wasn't Leeds to win the grand final. No, no, never <laughs> <got> <laughs> <under> the grand <laughs> Definitely wasn't Definitely. that. Just, yeah. uh, and next minute, uh, car shot in and like, <laughs> and me into the corner. <laughs> it, it wasn't a police car, it was just a normal car. Two, two guys jumped That's out. That's standard in Leeds though, isn't it? Yeah, so, yeah. in Leeds it's yeah. regular occurrence. I thought I was getting mugged, so I put a bit of footwork on, <laughs> palmed one of the guys off. Well, anyway, it turned out they were undercover police officers. Uh, so I ran into the uh, bucky saying, I'm getting mugged, they chasing me anyway. They were police, threw me on the floor, cut all my clothes, glass in my hands. Oh. Um, yeah, good, good times. Good times. What was that? Yeah, but you need you've got oh, to mistaken identity. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> no, that's what <laughs> 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 Mistaken identity. <laughs> you look, you looked like a kid that we're trying to find. I'm like, a lot of kids that look like me around this this area. <laughs> oh, good way to end. Um, look, enjoy the grand final. Enjoy the off season. Hopefully, we'll all see you in a couple of months. And um, see you in when? Next year. Next year. Bye-bye.